Welcome to Moving On. Here you will get expert information, tips, and most importantly, the tools to moving on to a healthy, happy, and thriving life that you want to be living. Letting go of whatever is holding you back, whether you are in an unhealthy relationship or learning how to be in a healthy one, or maybe you are in a job that you've been dying to move on from, Learn to let go of what's holding you back and become the thriving, healthy, and happy person that is inside you. Welcome to Moving On. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Moving On, where I interview people who have gone through, let's say, challenging circumstances in their lives, made choices, and have come out to be in a successful place or at least a place that they feel they're happy and they're thriving. And today I have an expert with me who I cannot wait to get started talking to, and that is Jamie Filer. Hey, Jamie. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited. Thank so, you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let me tell you guys a little bit about her. If you haven't, you know, read anything or know anything about her, now you're going to know. All right. So Jamie is the owner of Jamie Filer Fitness, a top Instagram influencer in the mental and physical health space with over 104,000 followers. She's a transplant from Toronto, Ontario. And where are you now, by the way? St. Pete, Florida. Okay. So yeah. transplant, I'm like, okay, she chose warmer weather. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so she started her online coaching business in order to help women overcome, overwhelm, and reduce anxiety through fitness. So I think that's awesome. And I love it. And there's some points here that we will definitely be covering. So let me go back in time, like way back in time. Yeah. So tell me when you were a kid, what did you want to grow up and be? Oh my gosh. In the WNBA. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So I, I picked up a basketball when I was four and, uh, I, I, I never looked back until university, but yeah, basketball was my first true love. Nice. Cool. Yep. Yeah. And so where did that change? Oh my gosh. So what a great question, which actually leads to my first challenge, uh, mm -hmm. as you call it. Um, I parlayed my love of basketball into, uh, a diagnosed eating disorder. Um, I started my first diet when I was 11. Um, oh my gosh, whether you ask my uh, counselor, my mom, or myself, we all have a different answer as to why it started and what the trigger was. I wish I could tell you, but either way, uh, I knew that I was too young to be counting calories, but I did it anyway. And I used basketball as a way to do cardio because I didn't know any other I didn't know any other way to drop weight. My mom had uh, Richard Simmons VHS tapes in the house. So I remember obsessively sweating to the oldies with him in my room. I do push-ups and sit-ups once my parents had gone to bed. Um, got myself hospitalized for the first time at 15. I was in the hospital for sick kids for 40 days as an inpatient and then two months uh, as an outpatient. So going in from before breakfast, having my first meal with all of the other girls, because we weren't women yet, uh, until we all finished dinner and then we were allowed to be dismissed. But, you know, uh, I got very heavily into cardio. I was skipping classes in high school in order to go to the Jewish community center around the corner and run laps around the court. Um, 
but it's also where I discovered weight training when I was 16. I, I found a trainer who worked at the Jewish Community Center and I, I lied to him and told him that I was 16, not 15. And uh, we set up my first training circuit. Wow. Okay. So where was the eating disorder in this? Were you, cause I know you said you spent residential time and I know that doesn't always mean that somebody's overcome, you know, whatever it was that was driving the disorder. Oh, I am so glad that you caught that Tracy. Uh, no, things didn't get better till I was 21. So I, I hospitalized as an inpatient, uh, at 15 outpatient at 15 kidney dialysis at 17, um, and then finally, I was so angry that my parents had kept putting me in the hospital that I decided to get much worse before I got better. Now, that is also when the body dysmorphia kicked mm -hmm. in. And because I was so lean, because I was also weight training, mm -hmm. um, I thought I was a bodybuilder, like a legitimate men's, like those guys you see on the Mr. Olympia stage, like the Super Bowl of bodybuilding. I, you know, the one where like the pussycat is looking in the mirror and sees himself as a lion. Yeah. Legitimately thought I looked like a giant bodybuilder. So I started competing and I would go from Toronto to Rochester and Syracuse and, and uh, Buffalo, New York, obviously nowhere in Toronto. So my friends and my, my mom could not watch me, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Western New York. I just completely demolished the teenage, the female teenage division in bodybuilding, very unhealthy. Um, but no, it was not just because I was out of treatment does not mean that I was recovered. It would be years before I sobered up because again, I, I got back at my parents um, right. by getting worse. Yeah. It's kind of funny how, when you're uh, young, you think like that, like I'm going to hurt myself. And that's somehow going to punish my parents, right? We see it all the time. I'm going to drink more because my significant other, right? We got in a fight or I'm going to smoke more. I'm going to do whatever my vice is. So I did yeah. make mine. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That does. I mean, I think it's really hard when it comes to, you know, the depth of, let's say an issue, like an eating disorder, because I've talked to a lot of people that have had eating disorders, clients, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the one thing you feel like you can control and also, right. And yeah. also with, uh, with, um, the weightlifting, you know, I know, cause I know people that actually compete. Um, and I find it interesting because it walks the line anyways of an eating disorder. It gives you the right to have one. It's like the only sport in the world that encourages you controlling your calories, but it's in the name of the sport, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Right. I could not agree more. Yeah. Great observation. So basically, but you got into it because you were all, I mean, obviously there's something about the body anyways, that's intriguing to you because you're still obviously helping people. Right. Yep. So, okay. So what else was going on like emotionally for you during that time period? Cause it seems like a pretty, um, transformative time as far as choices you were making things you were doing. Absolutely. So, um, at the time I didn't know that it was childhood trauma, right? This is only something that our counselors and our social workers and our psychologists bring to the forefront of our minds later when you're like, why am I still not getting past this? But my father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease um, oh eight, eight months before I was born. So one month into my parents' marriage, 
they get this news and my mom's like, well, a minute, I'm not going, you're my soulmate, this is it. Uh, so I grew up with a father who couldn't talk to me, couldn't walk with me, could not breathe on his own, uh, but never missed a basketball game, never missed a school performance, never missed a graduation. Uh, I, I had him all the time, even though I couldn't have all of him. He, he was the only father I knew. So I was, I was so grateful. And of course I went through the, you know, we go through the phases where we don't talk to our parents and we get angry. It's like, I treated right. him the way a daughter treats a father, because again, I didn't, I didn't know any different. Um, so that's, you know, one of the reasons I talk about my mom a lot. My dad was hundred percent there to the extent that he could be. So what else was going on? You know, one of the reasons I think my eating disorder came to a head was because he was so ill throughout the course of my life. I took on the, well, if I just disappear or shrink myself, um, literally, I will also shrink myself metaphorically. Now, of course, the irony is that my mom had to leave him every single day to visit me in the hospital. And my grandmother now was worried about, right? Like the entire oh family gosh. now shifts their attention to me instead of my terminally ill father. So that's what was going on at the same time as I had a dad that I could communicate with, but not really. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, that's really challenging anyways, because you're born into it. So you don't know any better. Right. And you're yep. used to not having that level of attention, even though your dad showed up, but you're, you're, it's like, and this is for anybody here who's listening, who has any childhood trauma, it's really about, you know, what we're familiar with, but there's always a deeper yearning. There's always a desire inside to have the attention to have you know, that kind of connection that feels fulfilling, that feels like somebody's emotionally present. And it's really hard when someone's sick to, to get that. So yeah, right. that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. um, so going forward, obviously, you know, you're 21 when you figured yeah. out you had the eating disorder. So, you know, one of the things that I had read was, um, you know, that you had been engaged to a man and then you came out in 2016 and I have no idea how old you are by the way so I may be going way ahead in time but yes between like 21 and that happening you were living a life that probably seemed appropriate to other people and maybe not to you like there's something missing like what was going on yeah so so let's we'll close the chapter on the eating disorder so okay. at 21 i realized that if i didn't at least start the process of recovery by my 22nd birthday i would have lived with an eating disorder an equal amount of time as i would have lived without one and that was not how i wanted to define myself especially because i was graduating college right i wanted a job i wanted to be a real person who could think about relationships and money and her aging parent, uh, rather than always focused on again, when am I getting my next cardio in? How did, did I hit the 400 calorie threshold today? So started recovering at 21, fully recovered by 24 touch wood, no relapses, no anything like I've been, what did you do to, to change that? I went back, this is coming full circle. I went back to the social worker. I was assigned at 15 whom I didn't open my mouth to it all over the course of 40 days. And I said, do you, um, do you like still work with girls who have eating disorders? And she's like, I mean, I'm still employed by the hospital. I said, do you take like maybe private clients six years later? And she said, yes. So I, I went back to see her. I was on all of the forums. I made amends with my mom uh, and I just ate 
Tracy, I just said, get over yourself. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. I think that's really hard. I know I, I asked you. Another yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go no, ahead. it just, cause it brings up like, I, I mean, I was the queen of like, we can call it disordered eating. And uh, I mean, again, so many women, right? And so I don't think most people understand too that there's the societal influences that also come in. So when you have childhood trauma and then you have that, and then you're like, oh my God, if I could only get to that perfect place and be that perfect person, then everything yes. might be okay. Yes. Yep. I could not agree more, but you, you just like any addiction, you hit your rock bottom. And then mine was that awareness that it would officially take over my identity if I kept anorexic with a capital A, right? A scarlet letter uh, for yet another year. Like, why was I still wearing this uh, label? Right, right. So you don't, so you said you continued, like you've not had any relapses or anything. Yeah. So yeah. your relationship to food and working out now is what? Is a healthy one, is one of balance and moderation, is one whereby if I want it, I have a healthy balance of eating it, but also making sure that I don't, like it doesn't trigger a binge or like, I'm just not in that mindset anymore. There's no guilt. There's no, I guess the best way of saying it is there's no emotional attachment to food. On the one hand, it doesn't bring me joy. Do I love Thanksgiving? Of course, because I'm surrounded by family and friends. Does the food bring me joy? Do I look forward to it? No, it could be boiled chicken and broccoli. If the, the table was decorated the same way and I had the same 12 people at the table, I would be just as happy. That's yeah. amazing. Like literally, I'm sure you know that's amazing, right? <laughs> I, I know it's different. I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that's it. Okay, cool. So- going forward. Yes. yes. Right. So going forward, I wrote down the word, um, trying to be the perfect person. And you wrote societal influences. I come from an upper middle class Jewish background, Jewish private school from, uh, junior kindergarten through 12th grade, uh, Jewish private summer camp. So the only people I knew were straight white Jews. Even the people that later came out in my high school as gay were not gay when we were in high school. They were, they did not come out. So it never occurred to me that this could be who I am. It's so funny. I was telling my mom this because she, you know, watched one of my, my uh, listened to a, a podcast or something. And she's like, what do you mean you didn't have any like gay role models growing up? Like, look at at Michael Kors and at, and she named like five gay famous Jews. And I'm like, I didn't, how does that help me? Right. Who are my actual role models that told me that it's okay if you are this way, right? Not mm -hmm. from the time. So again, it's not that I was closeted. It didn't occur to me. I thought based on societal influences, I had to marry the nice Jewish boy to have the nice Jewish life. And that's not her fault. And it's not even society's fault. They just, cause I'm sure right now in my high school, there are five non-binary kids and, and a bunch of, you know, there's probably an LGBTQ, you know, um, like a social club, but no, that was not the case in the early 2000s. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. So, and I could see that because if you don't think something's possible for you, of course, why would you think 
that's something about you, right? right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what woke you up? Huh. Um, oh gosh. I, I, I wish I could. Okay. So I didn't have, uh, there was an element of my relationship with my fiance that was missing. I was not attracted to him. He was the best guy. He did make he ended up making the ultimate husband and father but i would see him naked and i'd say yeah i have to okay all right a minute if i close my eyes maybe i can um and i so i said to him again still didn't know that i was gay i just thought that maybe he wasn't it for me physically so i said listen you deserve someone that wants to have sex with you there's no other way to say it Unfortunately, I am not that person, but I want that for you. And he's like, wow. Okay. So you're not happy. And I'm like, it's not that I'm unhappy. You're a great guy and you're my best friend, but I think both of us could be happier. And he's like, okay, well, I, I mean, if there's nothing I did and there's nothing else, then I, we're just going to call it. And I'm like, thanks. I'm so sorry. And that was it. And it was, so we essentially parted amicably because nothing happened. Right. Um, so I was complaining to my massage therapist that I will never meet anyone. And this is the second time I've broken up with him and I just can't seem to figure it out. And she said, do you want to just go for coffee and talk about it instead of you complaining like while you're face down and naked? Cause this is, you know, I don't, right. I don't know this, right? do you want to just be friends? And I said, do you want to just go on a date? And she's like, are you gay? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, but I'm literally willing to try everything. And going back to the societal influences, it's because I was an unmarried Jewish woman at 25, right? My friends were all getting married at 25 because you got to have your first kid at 30, second okay. kid by 35. I'm like, shit, I'm going to be behind if I don't meet someone yesterday. Right. So I'm like, you know what? Just take me off the market. And so that's how that happened. Wow. So it just yep. occurred to you, like, yep. maybe that's something I need oh to explore. hundred percent. That's it. I'm like, cause why not? Right. right. Again, I, right. my expiration date is this close. So I may as well just, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, you know what though? I think a lot of things are organic in life. Like I always find, at least for me, that nothing forced ever works, but anything that organically comes, I mean, you're having a conversation. It's like, oh, Hey, why don't I do this? Yep. And so, yeah. Okay. So fast forward now you're married. I am married and I've been married for five years. I've been with my wife for a total of six. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so the difference in this is, I don't know, you're attracted to her, right? I, this is, yeah. Yeah. It turns out that's what I was missing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, um, not to, to go off too much, but we have a philosophy that your perfect partner is a tri trifecta. They are your lover. Say you can blame, uh, unless you're asexual, but we're not. Okay. You have to be physically attracted to them because otherwise I hate to say it, but our, our carnal urges, you will start looking elsewhere. If that need, right. The physical touch, the intimacy is not being satisfied. You're going to have a wandering eye. The next piece is your best friend, right? Katie is the first person I want to tell everything to, good, bad, and ugly. I can swear at her. She can swear at me. She can raise her voice to me. But at the end of the day, she's my best friend. She's not going anywhere. And then the last one is the, the wife or the husband portion, right? Does she take you out on dates? Do you take 
him out on dates? Do you cook dinner for each other? Do you sporadically buy him flowers? Does he buy you random stuff, right? Whatever your mm -hmm. love language is, does that person satisfy that love language? And she was to this day and probably going forward, she is the only person to check my trifecta of boxes. That's amazing. And that's awesome. So I love that. And she would say the same, I'm assuming about you as well. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So I love that. So the personal life sounds like it's pretty even keel. So yes. yeah, let's get back to, you know, professionally what you do. So right. your whole passion, your whole drive is what at this point when it comes to your professional life? teaching people specifically women that you can integrate and i love i, I want to underline and bold and italicize that word integrate your mental health into your physical health and your physical health into your mental health i like that i do believe that's possible when it's balanced yes it's, of course it's not yeah it's a freaking mess yeah when it's not, you need a different kind of professional. And as long as you have that uh, mm -hmm. resource, then yeah. absolutely. And then when you come back to balance, I'm your person. But in the meantime, if it's like a touch of depression or an ounce of anxiety, then I've got you. Absolutely. Right. And so how does that make you different? Because I know there's obviously there's a lot of trainers in the world, but how does yeah. this make you different, let's say, from other ones? Where's your unique message in that? Oh, I love that question. Well, the first one is that I myself have struggled with balance, right? I've swung the pendulum so far in both directions. I have been all in on my physical and paid obviously zero attention to my mental. Um, and then obviously the other way around, right? When I was recovering from the eating disorder, legitimately was not allowed to, to move or to count my calories. Smartphones didn't exist. So the, the app of my fitness pal wasn't an option for me. Um, where I paid no attention to my physical health and I essentially did let it slide uh, in favor of, of recovering. Um, there have been points, right? So mm -hmm. what makes it different is I've been through it. I've got empathy. I've been as low as 95 and as high as 180 pounds. I've been as low as depression, not wanting to get out of bed. And, you know, I mean, this is the extent yeah. of my high, but um, I've also figured out how to meet clients where they're at, right? People say, well, what's your training style? And I say, well, what's your training style? Because I don't have one, right? I'm not a Jillian Michaels who either operates as a drill sergeant or doesn't operate at all, or Bob Harper, who is either your cheerleader or nothing at all, right? I am, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of trainers, it's hard for them to throw away their paradigms and their frameworks that are so ingrained because that's, that's what they know, but that's not what the, that's not what the client needs. That's not what the human needs. It's like holding onto the handlebars on your bicycle all the time and not letting go. Um, that's how I look at people who really get stuck in, this is the structure of what I do rather than what you're saying, because I think that you know, everybody is different. I mean, in yeah. the work I do and uh, the people who work for me, you know, we really do try to take the individual. And I think that that's what, I think it's what's missing in our society anyways, because, you know, we're not all the same. I mean, we have more sameness than we do differences. I strongly yeah. believe that and feel that. Yeah. But when it comes to the motivation part of it, 
what's going to motivate you to change something about yourself, right? We all come at it from a different place. Absolutely. Yes. Could not agree more, right? Most, most trainers sell programs. I sell paradigms. I sell behavior modification. I, I sell the shifts in your habits. More personal, less trainer. I like that. Um, okay, so before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you a couple more things. Of course, One yeah. is, um, you know, so what if somebody's looking, you know, to do some changes? Like, okay, and and here's the thing: somebody, and I'm saying this to my audience, somebody's really looking to commit to a lifestyle change. Uh -huh. Okay. Not yeah. just a diet or just exercise because the holidays are here and I'm going to get fat or whatever it is you tell yourself yeah. that sounds horrible. But what would you say to somebody who is looking for that kind of a commitment that they're going to make to themselves and they're going to come to you? I love that question. First, the first one is have a clear understanding of what you want, right? And I mean this in the most cliche, find your why. Because I have people who will say, I want to lose 20 pounds, but you want to lose 20 pounds until Thanksgiving happens. But when they say, I want to lose 20 pounds because I'm not comfortable in my own skin, which leads to me not wanting to take my shirt off, which means to, uh, which leads to less intimacy with my partner, which leads to us fighting all the time because we're not getting right. The trifecta. Yeah. Do you don't want to lose 20 pounds? You want to be intimate with your partner. That's when you can say no to the second and third plate. So number one key to commitment, remember why you want to commit in the first place, because it is going to get hard, right? We're going to have these, and I don't want you only committing when it's, when it's the hill and not the valley. Um, and then the second one is decide what you're willing to commit to, right? I have many clients who'll come to me and they'll say, okay, great, give me macros. And for those uh, listeners who don't understand, a macro is a specific gram of protein, carb, and fat. It requires meticulous tracking and weighing of what goes in your mouth. That's a lot for people who struggle with anxiety or for whom getting out of bed in the morning is a big win for their depression, right? So instead of committing to macros, committing to getting 5,000 steps a day, and that's where we can start. I love that. And I think that's true. And I think it's true also for people that are really busy because I've done macros before and I'm like, holy shit, it's just time. Right. consuming. Even with an app, it's time consuming. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's great. And I think that's really helpful. And so where can people find you? I think the number, the number one place would be Instagram because my Instagram is hard, uh, is heavy on the education component. Uh, second would be the uh, Instagram, um, not Instagram inspiration, right? My, my orders, education, inspiration, entertainment, um, Instagram at J A I M. And then the numbers nine, one Jamie 91 or Jamie is my website. I love that. And I have enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything that you would like to leave with our audience before you go? You don't have to start with wherever it is you you should, and I hate that word, right? Don't, don't have a, an influencer in mind when you start your fitness journey, just be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today. I love that. I think that makes tiny steps an easy thing to do. There you go. That's all you all right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it.
Absolutely. And everybody listening, you guys, um, you'll see the information wherever you find the video as far as how to find Jamie in case you didn't write that down. And we always put links in there so you guys Good. can find her. And if you have any questions or anything, you can also leave them on her Instagram. Other than that, I will be back next time with another expert who's going to share their journey with us. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. For more information about Tracy and her programs and to set up a discovery session, email happiness at tracycrossley.com. That's happiness at tracycrossley.com or go to the website for more information. And thank you for tuning in to Moving On 